0: be prepared to hear God's word. Let's pray. Emmanuel. As we celebrate your initial arrival in Bethlehem and wait alertly for your return, help us see your glory and love through the reading and preaching of your word. We pray in your name. Amen. The first passage I'll be reading is from Luke 2 verses 15 through 32. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. My next passage is from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Before I begin preaching, I'd like to just take this moment to say another word of appreciation to Pam Bickford for painting the Savior mural that you see in front of you. For some of you, this might be your first visit to the sanctuary during this season of Advent. Uh, Pam is a member of our congregation and an artist, and uh, you can read a little bit more of the story of this project and a little more about Pam in the uh the december edition of our current newsletter Uh, but you can see that that what is pictured there is the scene from luke chapter 2 where the angel speaks to the shepherds that today a savior is born to you in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord We've been exploring this dimension of Jesus as Savior, anticipating the arrival. And here we are at the fourth Sunday in Advent. Today, following this theme of the Savior who is on the scene, we pause to consider our own presence in the scene the Savior enters. Yes, the Savior enters a scene of which you are a part. You are a character in the story. The Savior's entrance into the world is an entrance into your world. You are in the scene. The Savior enters. And the Savior's story is part of your story. When Jesus the Savior enters the scene of our lives, we're invited to cherish the treasure, to embrace salvation, and to open the gift of grace. Think about a time when you have had the opportunity to hold a newborn infant in your arms. This might be your own child. It could be a grandchild. It could be a niece or a nephew. Maybe you have a role as as part of, maybe you've been a nurse and have had a, a role in the hospital to hold a newborn, perhaps even a newborn that needed medical care in your arms. What an experience that is. Hold firmly but not too tight, gently. The child's safety and well-being is dependent upon you and the attention and care that you offer. On a similar but different level, perhaps you, you have had the opportunity to welcome a brand new puppy or a kitten into your life. And a similar thing holds true, doesn't it? Barely able to, to stand on their own, you, you pick them up. They're so delicate. Don't squeeze them too tight, but hold them firmly. What a tender moment it is. Now, in the world of inanimate objects, we might also think of a, a time-honored tradition When we decorate for Christmas, do any of you out there have an heirloom Christmas tree ornament made of glass or some other breakable substance that you have to be very, very careful with in packing and unpacking? Anyone? I'm sure there's there's someone in your home who has that role of making sure that, that that ornament is safely cared for and handled. With great attention and care. It's not something that you say, hey, can you throw me that ornament so I can put it on the tree? (laughs) If you do that, you might find yourself out in the cold for the holiday season. Newborn children, just-born pets, breakable ornaments, what they have in common is that they're fragile. And because of this, they require us to give great attention to their presence in our world, in the moment. In that moment, we need to focus on what matters most. Some of the words that we have in our English vocabulary to describe what we do personally to really Give that kind of care and attention to something important that matters most in the moment. Well, one has to do with childbirth, and you can actually envision Mary doing that at the manger. It's the verb to cradle to cradle something is to act like a cradle, the noun cradle, which is a cradle is, is a place where you would place a vulnerable, delicate, newborn child so that they would be safe and can sleep. And so you can picture this. In fact, why don't you do it right now? Take your arms and, and make your arms into a cradle. How would you cradle an infant? How would you have cradled the baby Jesus, if you were, say, a shepherd at the manger? And Mary said, sure, you can hold him. When you're cradling an infant, you're cherishing that little life. To cherish means to to hold or treat as dear to you, to feel love for something or someone To care for someone tenderly. There's another word related to cherishing, and that is to treasure something. To treasure something means to regard or treat as if it is precious. That it is something of great, great value. And to retain it carefully. It's often used to to describe treasuring something, carefully retaining it in our minds. Think of a treasured memory, a treasured thought, a treasured emotion. Well, on the night that Jesus was born, we witness a great company of the heavenly host praising God for the wondrous miracle of the Incarnation. The arrival of the Savior on the scene. An expression of God's glory coming into contact with the human experience that will bring God's presence and God's peace and God's salvation into the world. The shepherds follow the encouragement of the angels and go see it for themselves. And they find Mary, Joseph, and the child lying in a manger. And after they see him, and perhaps cradle him. They depart. And the text in Luke tells us that they share the good news about who this child is, the promised Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. But then the attitude the the atmosphere around the Major begins to shift. It's no longer a crowded, busy place. It quiets down. And the infant Jesus is received by his mother Mary cradled gently in her arms. In Luke's gospel, we learn what she is thinking and feeling. Verse 19 of chapter 2. But Mary treasured up All these things and pondered them in her heart. As she cradled the baby Jesus in her arms, Mary treasures everything that has happened. Not only that evening, the giving of birth to Jesus, the the visitors who came. To the manger that night, but also going back to when the angel Gabriel appeared to her in the first place and said, Hail Mary, favored one of God. Mary treasures everything that has happened and pondered the significance of God's salvation. Might this be a picture of how we might contemplate the gospel on Christmas Eve, contemplate the good news of Jesus bringing salvation. We live in a busy, noisy world. That's putting it lightly. But in this busy, noisy world, Those who have followed in the footsteps of Mary, treasuring the gospel, pondering the good news in their hearts, have developed practices of pondering, praying in the silence. Imagine taking the baby Jesus into your arms. Cradle his significance for you. Consider how you might open more of your hope more of your heart to His grace and peace and guidance. Contemplate all that you have discovered in this greatest treasure of all, the good news of a Savior born to you. In the church, we are invited to engage in and grow in these practices of pondering, which means that we are not limited to just Christmas Eve on which to ponder this miracle of the incarnation of God. For some of us, these practices of pondering are the bread and butter of our daily life. But for others of us, these represent opportunities to grow closer to God and God's salvation that perhaps we have yet to explore. Here at North Creek, we've partnered with ministries that help us to do this. One that we've partnered with for a number of years is Renewal Ministries Northwest. Another that we've just been partnering with for the last year is an organization that comes out of a church in Portland called Practicing the Way, Practicing the Way of Jesus. Both of these organizations teach us practices of pondering, time-tested ways of giving careful attention of mind and heart to God's presence in our midst. Practices like Sabbath in the midst of a busy world, stepping out of the flow of the rat race into moments of regular rest where we might hear God speaking to us. Times of prayer. Not just hurried prayer in the middle of that busy life, but times of prayer that help us focus on what matters most in the midst, practices of solitude, remembering what can happen when we we make time in our schedule for God others like fasting and contemplation and spiritual reading of Scripture, these are invitations to cherish the treasure of a Savior who is now on the scene and present among us by God's Holy Spirit. When we engage these practices of pondering in the manner of Mary, we are encouraged And in fact, we actually are in the process of embracing salvation. To embrace, to take or clasp in the arms, to take or receive gladly, even eagerly, and accept willingly. When we embrace someone or something, it gets personal. You can't impersonally embrace something or someone. The embrace brings something close. It shortens the distance. You know, we all have our perimeter of personal space. Do you know what your personal space perimeter is? You probably do. And we know it when someone is violating that. (laughs) They're getting too close. And so maybe we take a step back because we're not ready for that. But when we embrace someone, we allow that person into our personal space, into really our inner world, into a place in our heart. I recently heard a story of parents who recently welcomed their first-born infant child by surrogacy after having struggled with infertility for many years. They wholeheartedly embraced their newborn son. And their son was so deep within their heart, no distance between them. Their dog, on the other hand six months later, has yet to fully warm up to this new visitor in the family. Maybe this visitor is just there for a short time. The parents feel like what's going to really change things, and some of you might attest to this, is when the child uh, starts eating solid food and starts dropping food from where they are eating on the floor then that dog and that child might be fast friends forever. And you can envision, and you might predict, that in future Christmases you'll see that toddler and that dog running circles around the Christmas tree together, causing all kinds of havoc as friends. Yet it reminds us, this scene reminds us, that, that embracing, the decision to embrace is a choice. And it's a choice that happens at a different pace for everyone. For Simeon, the wise old man who was waiting for God's promised Messiah, going to the temple on a regular basis, he was ready to embrace God's salvation right then and there. It was immediate for him. He'd wait as in his entire life to see God's salvation enter the scene. And he literally embraced the Savior, taking him in his arms, the text says. Reading from verses 27 to 32 of Luke 2. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon embraced salvation. We've been mentioning this word throughout our series, because salvation goes along with the Savior. It's the mission of the Savior. In Luke's historically accurate account, written in the Greek language, so this message could be shared with people throughout the Mediterranean region in the first century, it's the Greek word soteria, salvation. But Simeon is one of God's chosen people, and his waiting is in a long line back through the generations of God's people, the Hebrews, who have been waiting, even through painful times of exile, for God to come and bring salvation. And the Hebrew word for salvation is Yahshua. Simeon embraced salvation knowing that in his eyes he had seen God's salvation. Jesus, whose very name, Yeshua, Joshua, in Greek, Jesus, means Savior. We embrace God's salvation by embracing the Savior. For us, when we live, on the history of this planet, it's not embracing Jesus physically, but all the same, it's embracing Jesus intellectually and emotionally, spiritually. The question that comes to us on Christmas Eve is, where are you in embracing salvation? through Christ. Perhaps you can envision yourself standing at the manger, considering embracing Jesus as your Savior for the very first time. Perhaps it's something you've heard that people do. And maybe you feel yourself drawn to maybe take a step forward to the Lord. During our time of prayer after the sermon, I'll be praying, and there might be a part of that prayer that you can pray along with if this is your first time. For some of us, we might find ourselves at the manger, maybe even thinking about put, placing ourselves in that scene so many years ago seems a little bit far-fetched for our rational minds. And we may find that even though we might be drawn toward it, we, it's not just the right time for us yet. And that's okay, too, because everyone has their own process, their own timeline of responding to the entrance of the Savior into their scene. Perhaps you have embraced the Savior. Perhaps you, in the presence of other people who've said the same, have stood up and responded to that one question of membership in the church of Jesus, which is, who is your Lord and Savior? And you have said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But if you're like me, you know that time and the weariness of this world can dull your sense of the presence of Jesus in your life. One of my mentors, uh, Throughout my years of ministry is a man named Daryl Guter, who uh, has taught evangelism and mission for Presbyterians uh, going on, you know, 40, 50 years now. A few years ago, he wrote a book called The Continuing Conversion of the Church. And in that book, he talked about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and, and our call in the church to witness to that good news before a watching world. This is the heart of what it means to be the church, to respond to the good news of a Savior in Jesus, and to to share that, what that means, the the peace, the justice, the, the, the forgiveness, all those things that come with the Savior. But he said something that I found, and many found, to be quite novel, and that is that responding to the good news of Jesus is not something that we do just one time in our lives. And then we get our, we've responded to the gospel card, and we put that safely away in our purse or our wallet, and we can take that out, maybe even when we get to the pearly gates, and we show it, and that gets us into heaven. Now, there is a promise of heaven, because God's kingdom is one that will never end. And the Savior is here to restore us to God and communion with God that will never end. Our human death, our bodily death, will not interrupt that relationship. Praise the Lord. And yet the gospel, the good news of Jesus, comes to us over and over again. And even if we said yes to it before, Jesus' invitation is always, come, follow me today. Follow me today. Bring your weariness that you are carrying to me so that I can restore you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus comes to us and says, come, bring all of the turmoil of your lives, whether, whether this is the turmoil that you experience within, within relationships when they run into rocky times or get broken and the suffering that follows. Maybe it's as you look at the world and you see problems and you, maybe there are wars Maybe there are various abuses where people treat others with inhumanity and you just wonder how in the world, when in the world, is God's promised peace going to come in full? Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, comes to us and invites us to draw near, to embrace that word of salvation again, to be reminded of His presence, that He is the hope and He is here now and every day. For all of us, no matter what part of the path of embracing salvation we are on, this is the time to embrace the Savior. One of the most beloved of all the Christmas carols is Silent Night. Holy Night. It's the anthem of Christmas contemplation. It's the soundtrack that accompanies the flickering of a candlelight's flame in our hands as it has been passed from person to person to us from the Christ candle, as is a tradition in so many congregations throughout the world, including this congregation. We'll be celebrating that tonight at 8 o'clock. Verse 3 of Silent Night sings this way. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. This verse summarizes what the early church and believers ever since have discovered in their contemplation, in their practices of pondering the Savior in our midst. Jesus is the gift of God's grace. Christmas is a time for giving. And we have the opportunity both to give and to receive gifts. We have memories of giving and getting gifts. And Christmas contemplation invites us to consider the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift of God's grace. In this scripture from the book of Titus, this text from the New Testament letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus Uh, a man named Titus, it's in your Bible, Uh, it's not regularly read, but it's part of the assigned lectionary reading texts for Christmas Eve nearly every year. And it's because of how succinctly it describes what happened when Jesus appeared on the earth. Titus 2 verse 11, for the grace of God is has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God is what has appeared in Jesus, the newborn king. What is grace? You've heard this word. You've probably spoken this word. In Greek, it's charis. It's related to the concept of a freely given gift. A freely given gift. The most common brief definition in Christian theology is unmerited favor. It's good things that come to you not because of your merit or the good thing that you've done, but only because of the joy and the generosity of the one who is giving the gift. No strings attached. Grace is a gift, and the gift given by God through the birth of the Savior is the gift of a reconciled relationship. Imagine that. If you've ever been in a relationship that is estranged, maybe some of us are in that place right now, that's at the top of your list, isn't it? When you really get down, when you peel away the layers of the onion down into the depth of your heart, that's what you long for the most. When you look at the world, that's what you long for. You long for people who are fighting with each other to learn how to live together. The gift of the birth of the Savior is a reconciled relationship Have you heard this verse before? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. What? God and sinners reconciled. Grace in the New Testament is a one-word summary of salvation. What happened when Jesus entered the scene? It's given freely to sinners who believe. And it's an offer that is received in faith. And even that faith, God's people have learned, is a gift from God. The initial gift of grace provides ongoing empowerment, helping people actually overcome sin. And according to the letter to Titus, grace accomplishes things. It's an active thing that's working in our midst, this gift of grace It brings salvation to all people, a universal gift. But it's the kind of gift that transforms life as we know it. Think about the most practical gift for Christmas you have ever received. The one that you kind of, at a certain point in your life, you looked at your life and said, I can't imagine, I can't even remember living without this gift. Um, what things are like now compared to what they were before, what a gift. Those of us who find joy in gift-giving, by the way, this is our quest with our loved ones and friends. We want to find that gift. We want to get to know you well so we can be the one who can give you that gift. I have to admit, from a very practical standpoint, last year for Christmas, my daughters bought me or gifted me with a a cordless leaf blower now that gift came after them seeing me labor with an electric leaf blower and having to manage that cord all around the yard and i can't i cannot and now some of you own a cordless leaf blower game changer right like you don't have to plan to clean up your yard you can just grab that thing and go My life has changed. <laughs> but you know, in a way, along that same line, but infinitely deeper and more significant, we can say that same thing. Each one of us who has opened up the gift of God's grace in Christ. Our life has changed. And this gift of grace goes on to teach us how to live In this world of confusing choices, what to say yes to and what to say no to, how to live good lives, as the text says, being formed by God into people who are eager to do good. And it's more than just a one-time experience, it's something that we use over and over and over again, each and every day. So much so that for those of us who've been walking on this journey, we can't imagine living our lives without it. And what the early Christians found and I think all the faithful have discovered since is that the grace that comes to us in the Savior Jesus is not simply a gift that we receive and we hold on to and treasure but in our receiving of that gift we discover that we are embraced by God that we are the ones lifted up into the cradle and the, the, the tender embrace of God. And that God is holding firmly onto us through the rough and tumble of life. Think of all that life can throw at you and now picture yourself in God's embrace through it all. You are held I haven't used a sports analogy yet in this sermon, have I? (laughs) Or have I? I don't know, maybe. Okay, here comes the sports. Okay, it's going to be football. So some people might describe football and the importance of hanging on to the ball through contact, they describe that as cradling the football, holding it firmly, Now, in practice, what happens? You're taught how to hold on to that ball through all kinds of contact, and some of you have experienced this kind of practice before. You run with that football, and your coaches are on either side of you, and they take these foam uh, things and they and they hit you with them across the arms. Uh, And across your legs, just to give you that sense of what it means and what it's going to feel like when you're in the real game and you're engaging and feeling that contact. You're running through that gauntlet. So if you want to envision this, it's kind of like pool noodles that aren't so flexible. And you're getting hit this way or that. You know, that image is an image for life. But rather than use that image to describe just how important it is for us to hold on to God through those challenging times, through the contact, I think it's even more profound to think that is how God holds on to us through those times, through those times of contact. God holds us tight. John Calvin invites us, actually invites anyone who would come to the contemplation of the gift of grace in Christ, but especially since he is the father of Presbyterianism, perhaps especially so this gathering today. He wrote this, in Christ, God's face shines out full of grace and gentleness to the poor and to the unworthy sinners. And he sees contemplation of the gift of grace as the source of joy. Listen to these words. Joy is a quiet gladness of heart as one contemplates the goodness of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. Friends, this Christmas, may we cherish the treasure of Jesus. May we embrace salvation and open the gift of God's grace forever always as if for the very first time. Today, on Christmas Eve, may we all be found cradling grace. Amen.